Welcome to Sunny in Seattle with your host, Sunny Joy. And coming up on today's show, Sunny welcomes special guest, Lisa Levine. And the two of them will be chatting about her newest book, Midlife No Crisis. So tune in for some new information and inspiration that will change your perspective on aging and living your best life with renewed purpose. And now I welcome host for the day, Sunny Joy. And good morning, everyone. Welcome to Sunny in Seattle. I am your host, Sunny Joy McMillan. And we are here every Friday from 9 to 10 a.m. on Alternative Talk 1150 a.m. KKNW, as well as 103.3 KPCA in Petaluma, bringing you amazing guests and resources to help you live a life filled with peace, joy, freedom, and purpose. It is radio that positively shines. And if you can't catch the show live, you can always access those show archives. Um, you can find those at 1150 kknw.com that's 1150 kknw.com and you can also find the show on itunes and podcast one um, wherever you like to listen to podcasts it should be there um, and so let's say quick housekeeping uh, my website is goldenoversoul.com that is goldenoversoul.com and i also have a fun event to mention so if you are one of our listeners that finds yourself in the petaluma area um, want to make you aware that this weekend um, may 22nd and 23rd uh, kpca is going to be doing a bob dylan 80th birthday celebration Celebration. So apparently Bob Dylan's 80th birthday is on May 24th, which is next week. So in celebration of that, we've got a couple of things going on in Petaluma. Um, first of all, for the 48 hours of the weekend, you can hear Bob Dylan music on KPCA. I think all of the programmers are going to be playing Bob Dylan music. Um, and then also, if you actually kind of want to get out, I know some people are getting out a little bit more and exploring and enjoying uh, some spring weather that we weren't able to last year. So two things that you can go do. Um, we've got a pop-up event on Saturday, May 22nd from 2 to 6 p.m. Um, the KPCA pop-up canopy will be uh, out in Helen Putnam Plaza, which is in downtown Petaluma. And there'll be an information table, radio playing KPCA, local musicians actually performing Bob Dylan music. So that's a great way to get out. And you can learn more about KPCA out there. And then the second thing is um, we've got a dine and donate thing going on um, all weekend. So basically what happens is you go dine at a select number of local restaurants that I'm going to tell you about here in a moment. And a portion of your bill is going to go to support PCA, Petaluma Community Access, um, which does a lot of great stuff for the community and is the reason why you're listening or able to listen to the show here today. Um, so we really want to thank the following local Petaluma restaurants for supporting PCA and KPCA with this Dine and Donate event. And so these restaurants I'm about to mention are donating a portion of all proceeds to the cause and just tell them that Bob Dylan sent you. So we want to thank Hank's, Taps, La Dolce Vita, Bricks Pizzeria and Stockholm. Again, that's Hank's, Taps, La Dolce Vita, Bricks Pizzeria, and Stockholm. And so if you go dine at these restaurants um, on their select, we've got the weekend thing going on here, the 22nd and 23rd, um, these restaurants are donating a portion to, K uh, to PCA. So thank you so much. Okay, so there is our housekeeping fun local Petaluma events. Um, Benny, how are things up in Seattle now that we've covered Petaluma? Oh, we're doing pretty good up here. Uh, we will honor uh, Bob Dylan as well. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Coming up on 80, that's a great career and life for sure. 
Right. And I think there's the posters that were made for this event. I've seen them, although I'm kind of an honorary member of the outreach committee there in Petaluma. Now that I'm traveling, they were kind enough to let me stay a part of it. Um, So, but I, I, there are a lot of people working behind the scenes on this. And one of them was a wonderful poster that was created. It was a picture of Bob Dylan wearing a leopard print pillbox hat, which I guess is something that he was known for. So everybody get your leopard (laughs) print pillbox hats out and wear them. (laughs) I'll dust mine off. Okay. Okay. Well, good to talk to you, Benny. Um, anything else exciting happening up there? No, we're just uh, gearing up for another fantastic weekend here in the Seattle area. Awesome. I know I was checking the weather because we're down. I'm currently coming to you from Dallas, Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, my best friend from law school is here. And I, you know, I've gotten so used to the weather in Seattle and in the Northern California. And I am, I'm definitely a West Coast gal. And so that it's like a hundred percent humidity. It's also been raining, which makes it like 200% humidity. It's like 80 to 90, maybe even over that degrees. I'm just like steaming down here. <laughs> So I'm jealous of looking at the, I looked at the weather in Seattle this morning and thought, oh my goodness, I want to be, I want to be up on the West coast. Ah, it's great. No matter where you are. I know. I know. Anyway, it's good to see friends though. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, actually our guest today is in Seattle. Um, I have known her for years now and have really enjoyed, we've collaborated on some things. Um, we did a sacred supper club dinner together at one point, um, and just have enjoyed, um, following her uh, career and what she's been doing, um, which now she has a new book out and I wanted to talk to her about it today on the show. Um, her name is Lisa Levine and she is a certified life and health coach at audacious health and wellness. Uh, she helps women who are approaching midlife to create new and healthy habits in the way they think, eat, sleep, move, empowering them to live their lives fully audaciously. Originally from the East Coast, she currently resides in Seattle, spending much of her time writing, drinking matcha, overusing emojis, parentheses, and punctuation, enjoying the beauty of the Pacific Northwest, and playing in the kitchen, creating healthy fare for her family and friends. And that's one of the ways that I know Lisa. She actually um, was kind enough to do all of the food for one of our smaller sacred supper club dinners. So I'd say food and nutrition are, is one of her love languages. Um, she is comforted by the reminder that the only constant in life is change and by the deeply rooted belief that ultimately everything will be okay in the end. And if it's not okay, then it's not the end. Uh, the website to find out more is audaciouswellness.com. That's audaciouswellness.com. And this brand new book that is out, um, uh, and I have just enjoyed reading so much for the show, is Midlife No Crisis, An Audacious Guide to Embracing 50 and Beyond. Um, Lisa, actually, welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. I know it's been a while, but you've been on before. Oh my gosh, Sunny, thanks for such a lovely intro. And it's nice to be back and lovely to hear your voice. Seattle misses you. Well, I miss Seattle. We'll be back up and around there, I'm sure, on our road trip at some point. (laughs) I hope so. And just hearing you talk about the weather in Texas, I'm from Philadelphia. And while it's not quite as steamy as Texas, I do not miss those, that humidity, that those summers, one iota. I know. I feel like such a complainer and Chase is just like, can you just give up and just admit like we're in the South, it's going to be humid and steamy. Like, and I'm just like, I don't know what's happening. It just makes me rageful somehow. I can't take the humidity anymore. 
<laughs> I totally feel you. You're not alone. Okay. Well, thank you. Um, so I wanted to ask you first and foremost, you know, I just read your bio and that last part about if it's not okay, it's not the end. Now, I feel like I heard that on a movie that I adore, The Best Exotic Marigold Hotel. And I'm just curious, like, I love that you included that. Can you say why that was meaningful to you or where you where you heard it first? Gosh, I have no idea where I heard it first. I did see that film, so it might have been there. I've just kind of, I must have, it must be around in other places too, sort of by osmosis, yeah. I absorbed it. But I put that down because it just gives me hope. And I feel like hope that there's always a possibility for change, which, you know, I learned, well, I've just learned being a student of life, but certainly as a life coach, uh, it, it that got hammered home. Just it's, if there's always a possibility. And yeah, you know. Yeah, no, I, I, I really love that you included that. And I couldn't agree more. Um, and, and that the reason I think it stuck with me after hearing it in the movie, I wrote it down somewhere. And I thought, Oh, that just resonates so deeply, because you're right, there's always, always the possibility for transformation, and for change and expansion no matter midlife and beyond, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, I am a life coach and I am a health coach, but I ultimately think of myself as a possibility coach because, you know, Ooh. people hire coaches because they feel stuck in one way or another. And if my clients leave my practice feeling reconnected to a deep sense of personal possibility and the confidence that they have the tools they need to strike out in any direction they choose, then I feel like I've done my job. And that's what this book is all about, that sense of possibility. Yeah. And I was just about to ask you, you know, how did this book come about? Um, because I know, I, as I said, I've been following you and your work for quite some time. And um, I know these are things that we have talked about before, some of the things in the book, but I'm just curious how you decided to go ahead and write the book and put it out there in, in a form where people can actually hold it in their hands. Yeah. So, um, well, I started, the book was born from my blog posts because um, a lot of what I experienced uh, when I was going through that was right around the time I turned 50 and then in my early 50s. Um, now, I'm, I'm in fact, happy birthday to Bob Dylan. I'm a fellow Gemini and I'm going to be 58 <laughs> next week. So um, beyond some of that stuff, but I had been blogging about it. And uh, this is sort of like just to tell you folks out there who are thinking about writing a blog or putting your stuff out there, put it out there because you never know who's going to find it. And I had somebody contact me and say, you know, I, um, I am 52. I just got laid off my job. I'm, I've been, um, you know, looking for stuff that is going to help me get through it. And I found your blog and I read every single thing that you wrote. And I'm actually starting a, a, a publishing imprint. And it would actually, they're really more like book packagers, the folks who put this together. And um, mm -hmm. so we started to talk and we, she said, I think that what you're saying would be really helpful to people. And this company that I've started is all about making beautiful graphics and beautiful design. So let's team up. And that's how the book came together. I love that. That isn't, and it's, when I hear stories like that, first of all, I love those stories, but it always gives me so much hope that we, if we just show up and live fully and put ourselves out there sometimes in ways that may be scary or uncomfortable, that's really where the universe meets us halfway. And look what came of it for you. This is awesome. Totally. I mean, I put it out there, not with the intention that I would write a book. However, it was funny because I, you know, I skirted around it. I was sort of like, I didn't allow myself to have the dream that I would write, that I would be an author. So I told uh -huh. myself, oh, it's writing this, I'm writing this blog and it's for my clients and it's going to help me, you know, help me, it's going to help publicize my business. But the truth was that 
the writing part of the blog, like I loved it. I love mm-hmm. the writing. And that was my, you know, that if I'm following my North star, that was a clear direction that when I did that, my body compass lit up and I was like, yeah, yeah, I really love this. More, more yes, this, as you're familiar with me talking about. And so uh, yeah. I didn't really allow myself to have that dream. And then the dream came to me, which was so beautiful. Ah, uh, love it. Um, and just real quick, I know I even had a question about this from in going through the book, but you and I speak the same language because we both um, came from the same coaching tradition, or at least you, I know you have many more certifications and obviously with the health and the nutrition that you do, but the Martha Beck part of it, we do share in common. Um, and so the word body compass is something that is pretty common speak for us, but just for folks out there who maybe aren't familiar with it, um, that, that, that yes, this how do you know when your body says yes to something? Cause that's, I know that's a, uh, um, a tool that you give in the book as well. Oh yeah. I mean, it's really about tuning in and paying attention. Cause of course, paying attention is the cornerstone to all the things, right? But it's yeah. about tuning in and paying attention to see how I feel in my body when I'm doing any particular thing or, um, making any particular decision. It's a, it's very, it's a very handy tool to know that when you get, when you start to consult your body in the process of moving through your life, your body has a lot of valuable information and we all spend so much time up in our heads that we forget to consult our bodies. And when we do it, um, there's, there's pretty much, there's holy messages in there. Yes. Holy messages. I could not agree with that more. I like to think it's how our spirit or our soul, whatever you like to call it, consciousness that animates us can speak. That's how it kind of sends us messages is uh, one of the, one of the ways that it does so. Um, And so I'm just curious, I know how mine, I've come to learn how I recognize things that are good for me versus bad for me by how my body speaks. I get my, my heart space slash down in the solar plexus tends to either tighten or expand. Um, what is, what are yours in case anyone out there is like, Oh, I wonder how my body speaks to me. My heart also. And also mm-hmm. in my throat, like at the bottom of my throat, it's like uh, almost attached to the smile. Like it just kind of is quivering <sighs> and my forearms. Well, okay. Wait, what happens in your forearms? They get tingly. Like they get tingly. Like I get like my hands get shaky. Like I'm so I'm doing it right now, but you can't see. Like my hands start to get. It's like almost shaky. Like oh my gosh, yes, yes, yes. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes it's more subtle than that, you know. And then sometimes it's it's um it's like I can't contain myself. And the other thing that happens a good no, a good way to notice if you're not necessarily used to checking in is when you're in flow with something and when mm. you're doing something that's so so. You kind of lose track of time and you recognize, wow, I was really in that moment. And to then notice how your body is feeling. And that's also a really good clue. Oh, that is a great clue. And I love that you mentioned the forearms because this it's just a testament. We each, while there are common themes and maybe how one's body would react to things that are negative versus positive for you in terms of your right life, everybody's body is so unique and different that those nuanced, subtle signals may be something as individual and unique as your forearms tingling. So (laughs) I know, right? It's it's so fun. It really is. And I want to ask you about maybe some moments when things were not so fun um, that, that you mentioned here you are coming up on 58. And I think we met, gosh, you must have been, okay, if I, if it was 20, I think we met in 2013 or 2014, um, which I just have to share, if you don't mind me sharing how we actually were connected to each other originally. It's one of those funny, 
<laughs> okay, okay. Yeah, so we were renting, we were doing a temporary rental um, in Seattle while we were figuring out where we wanted to be. And our landlord, who um, was this nice gentleman, said, hey, I got someone at, I believe you were at the same synagogue. And he said, I know someone else who's doing coaching work too and hooked us up. And I'm like, oh my gosh, here we are, both Martha Beck coaches, both, um, you know, kind of on similar like explorative tracks in our life. And anyway, it just was so funny how that came together through our landlord at a funny new little, uh, what well, was a, it was the cutest little house, um, temporary rental there in Seattle. I love that. I mean, you know, it's like that's, I just sometimes have this image of, you know, the universe, angels, however you want to put all pieces around. And, you know, I just, I love that we got to connect that way. I do too. Um, and so if that was 2013, okay, I'm so bad at math, Lisa, would that have, that would be right around when you had turned 50, right? I turned 50 in 2013. We, we probably did meet around then, possibly the year after. You know, I, mm -hmm. I what I've noticed in, from, my personal experience and from talking to clients that the time that women often think they're having a midlife crisis is really right before 50. It's usually, it often starts at like 48, 49, and then maybe 50, 51. There is really something about that big number heading into 50. And that was certainly the case for me when I was 49. I just was like, how did I get here? How is it how am I going to be 50? It just felt so weighty. And I would look in the mirror and I would think I'm the same person I, I, I was when I was 29, when I was 39 and now I'm 49, going to be 50. I was, I was kind of freaking out. And then, yeah. And then I would watch any TV show or anyway, I would immediately go on Google. How old is she? How, how, wait, <laughs> like I would just, I, okay. Well, Michelle Obama is a little younger than me, but Barack is a little older. So, okay. That's, <laughs> I was literally, I was spinning. I was spinning and I was working in, um, with a really great little production company here in Seattle doing um, just like repping them. And I loved them. I worked with them for about seven years and we would go up and eat a communal lunch every day uh -huh. that when I was there. And I started to notice that I, I would look at all these people who I really loved talking with. And I thought, I don't want to talk about this anymore. I don't want to talk. Mm -hmm. about I want to talk about the universe. I want to talk about mm -hmm. the meaning of life. I want to go deeper. I want to really have, you know, incredible conversations. And that's how I ended up getting into life coaching. Yeah. And what did you notice? I, I guess, I mean, it's, it's from what I take from the book that these, the tools and the wisdom that you share here is a compilation of what you either sought out or found through your own search to um, really talk about the universe and, and, and figure out where you wanted to go from 50 and beyond. Um, but what were, what would you say were some of the big turning point moment, or I know 50 was a turning point for you, but if you can say a little bit more about what were some of the things that really like, you were like, yes, this is helpful to me in helping me feel more grounded and looking forward to what is ahead from here on out. Well, I would say the biggest thing, I, I, that's a really good question. I, I might have to even think about that a little bit more, but the, the biggest thing, it, it really was like crossing a threshold in a way. Mm -hmm. And so just initially getting from I'm in a crisis too. I'm in a transformation too. Oh my mm. God, 
I've transformed and it's amazing. You know, that was just that whole experience left a huge deep imprint on me. And when I was in what I felt like I was, what felt like a crisis, I, I like to describe it as being on like a life raft in the fog with no oars. And I had pushed mm. off from where I was and I could not see where I was going. And it was mm. about learning to trust where it was and that I would get there. So that experience was in itself hugely helpful to me because I could go back and I could recognize that when I just, well, that, let me just say that. And the language that I learned in coaching that I could trust that when I was in that, what we call in life coaching, a square one meltdown, when I was Mm -hmm. was having an identity shift that to just lean into it, to be on the life raft in the, in, in the fog with no oars and trust and just what did I need in the next 10 minutes, as opposed to what was I going to do with the rest of my life? I was going to be 50. Oh my God. So that idea of being able to just pay attention to what needed to happen, my next indicated step. So that that's a huge thing that I learned and that I continue to use whenever I feel like I'm in any kind of overwhelm or crisis. I mean, sometimes I have to remember, but then when I do, it's all good. <laughs> yes. And so when, how long would you say that it took you until you really like were comfortable in that life raft? Maybe even things started to open up. Maybe the fog was lifting. Maybe you're seeing cool things on the horizon because I'm just thinking if, if anyone else out there is either approaching this or in the thick of it, um, you know, what can they expect? Right. Well, you know, it's different for everybody. Everything, you know, there's a concept that I learned as a health coach, which is bioindividuality, which is, you know, it's like everyone's experience is going to be different, whether it's on your life raft or, you know, eating pancakes, like it's, it's going to affect you in a different way. <laughs> right. So for me, you know, I, I, I it's, if I was had to put an actual like time frame on it, I would say I was probably stuck on that raft for like six to nine months. However, when I look back, I would say I wasn't stuck. I was moving. I was just moving very slowly and I needed to, it was an, a beautiful reminder to come back to myself, to come back to my breath, to just be in the moment. And that, you know, that, is, that was huge. Another thing that that's kind of in the same vein as that, that I learned probably around that same time, I went to see, I don't know if you were here, if you were with a group of us that went to go see Oprah speak at, um, in Seattle. At the no, I remember that, but I did not go. And it was the Life You Want tour. And it was like she was on tour with Elizabeth Gilbert and a bunch of other people. And so I went, there was a big posse of coaches. It's like, you know, life coaches dream. But the, she started <laughs> off the whole thing by saying, well, it's, how do you have the life you want? It's actually pretty simple. Be awake in the life you're in. And that was like the angels sang. You know, I mean, that oh. I use that all the time. I think I even put it in the book. I, that is probably the cornerstone of, not just my life, but just what I teach my, my clients to be awake, pay attention. Mm. And so why do you think there has never been a better time to be a woman over 50? That's from the book. And I'm just curious why yes. you think that. Because the conversations are changing all the time. I mean, just recently, there was a big article in the New York Times about pelvic floor health, which I'm, I'm quite certain you couldn't have found even three years ago. I mean, just in a kind yeah. of conversation. So there's never been a better time also because so many of us, the boomers are aging. So many of us are Hit, about to hit 50 and Gen X, it's all, it's all happening. So there's a lot of us. And also because the way that we're having these conversations because of technology, there are so many virtual communities and there's so much um, support that you can find there. And even on 
social media. You know, if you go on Instagram and you hashtag, you know, midlife crisis, you're going to get a ton of information. And so one of the things I talk about in my book is there's the three C's of midlife community uh-huh. connection and, and, and um, community connection. And now that I've said that, what is that? Curiosity. Thank you. <laughs> I've got it in front of me, Lisa. I was going to ask you about it. <laughs> but, but community is a huge one. And so when you're going through something like, um, you know, when you're in perimenopause, which is still something that people don't, you know, are, are learning how to talk about and finding and recognizing that it's okay and finding the language, you can find community in that. And you can recognize that it's, you're okay. You're not alone. Um, and also that is huge to help change cultural narratives, which is another big thing for me. I mean, just like, you know, aging is inevitable, but getting old is optional. And we're, we're really taught that menopause is, you know, like not so much a dirty word, but just something you don't talk about. I mean, it's not discussed. And, um, and we, so, and we think it has all these negative connotations, like menopause is going to be horrible or, oh my gosh, I'm just going to be, it's just going to be hot flash city. Well, that may be true. You might have hot flashes, but it's also doesn't have to be horrible. You can take the reins of your health. And if you know certain questions to ask, you can go in and talk to your, um, your healthcare provider and actually maybe not suffer as much as you think, but we have these cultural editors that tell us that it's bad. It's a bad time. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be horrible. And that's, that's just not true. It doesn't have to be. And I hear these conversations now and there are certain women's, I call it, you know, champions for women's wellness and health and, and longevity and thriving at any age. And um, to hear some of them talk about it now, this is the time of life that, that can actually be the most enjoyable. And I'm, I'm curious, I know we will be here about to take our break in a moment, but you know, there's a, um, if, if you follow astrology, which I am more just cosmically curious, I don't know these things um, as well as others do, but I do keep up with it a little bit. And there's that, that idea, or the, not the idea, but the, the Uranus opposition that happens, I think, when we're around age 42, um, in and around there. And I remember it being described as that time when the soul finally says, you know, what about me? I've devoted so much of my life to taking care of others, whether that's kids or family members or your employer or whatever. Um, so the soul is like, okay, now it's my time. I'm curious uh, if, if you know of any similar astrologic tr- uh, transit of some sort that really supports midlife and beyond, even beyond that Uranus opposition. Oh my gosh, that's such a good question. And I'm totally curious. And I'm going to have to ask a couple <laughs> of my different friends who were so into that to, to help me out because you're right. I mean, like there's a Saturn return when you're ending 20s and hitting 30, and that all clicked in for me. And I don't yeah. know if it's an astrological thing, but I do know that for women who are approaching midlife, the search for great deeper meaning is is very, very prevalent. Yes, I agree. I'm finding that myself as I am approaching uh, similarly. Um, I'm actually more in the middle of my Uranus opposition at the moment, but it was so funny because when I'd heard about it, I never really did the math when that would be happening for me. And I had my chart read the other day by a dear friend who is a very talented uh, astrologer. And she was like, Sonny, you're in it. I'm like, oh, that makes so much sense. So anyway, <laughs> on that note, it makes sense like that. Oh yeah. I'm so sorry. I cut you off. Yeah. Oh, no, <laughs> but, 
Well, so uh, let's go ahead. We are going to take a break today, mainly because um, as a part of the Bob Dylan 80th birthday celebration that's happening in Petaluma through KPCA radio, um, we are going to be playing Bob Dylan music. So let's celebrate Bob Dylan with a little intro and outro music, and we'll be back in just a few. We all make promises, big and small. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. I do solemnly swear to help you when you're in need. To be considerate and caring. To be your loving, faithful friend, partner, child, parent, neighbor. One of our most important commitments is to support our nation's veterans. Learn how you can help a veteran going through a difficult time by visiting maketheconnection.net. Sunny in Seattle, radio that positively shines. I'm Dr. Anthony Lizowitz, and this is Climate Connections. Prescribed burns and grazing goats. Both will help make the Mark Twain National Forest in Missouri more resilient to climate change. The one and a half million acre national forest is what's known as a fire-adapted ecosystem. Historically, low-severity wildfires were common and helped keep unwanted species from taking over the forest. We know it had frequent fire, and we know that it was much more open. That's Reggie Bray of the U.S. Forest Service. He and his colleagues are mimicking this natural system. They remove dying trees and conduct controlled burns to clear woody brush and fuel from the forest floor. This reduces the threat of severe wildfires and helps regenerate the forest. When you start to open up an overstory stand and put sunlight on the forest floor, it really responds. To keep unwanted plants from sprouting back between burns, the managers let goats graze in some parts of the forest. The animals happily eat woody stems and invasive species. Their insatiable appetites also make goats useful in areas where it's difficult to conduct prescribed burns, like along highways. As the climate warms, the risks of extreme fires may grow, so hungry nannies and kids can help protect the forest. Climate Connections is produced by the Yale Center for Environmental Communication. To hear more stories like this, visit climateconnections.org. And welcome back to Sunny in Seattle. I'm your host, Sunny Joy. And of course, we've got our Bob Dylan music playing in celebration of Bob Dylan's 80th birthday, which is happening next week. So don't forget about all the wonderful events in Petaluma for our Petaluma listeners. Um, the pop-up event tomorrow, Saturday, May 22nd in Helen Putnam Plaza in downtown Petaluma. Um, go in there from 2 to 6 if you uh, if you want to find out more about KPCA. we got an information table, musicians playing, Bob Dylan music, that kind of thing. And then the dine and donate. Um, if you go and dine at a certain number of local restaurants, which I'll mention here in just a moment, a portion of the proceeds from your meal will go to PCA, Petaluma Community Access, um, which does so much for our community. Um, those restaurants to be aware of and special thanks to these restaurants as well for participating in this and donating. We've got Hank's, Taps, La Dolce Vida, Brick's Pizzeria, and Stockholm. Um, so thank you to those restaurants. Um, so I hope everyone has a wonderful weekend there in Petaluma celebrating Bob Dylan's birthday. Um, so I'm joined today by a friend, a colleague, and an amazing new author, Lisa Levine. Um, her book is Midlife, No Crisis, An Audacious Guide to Embracing 50 and Beyond. Um, so I'm I've always loved, Lisa, that your business is called Audacious Wellness, um, or Audacious Health and Wellness. And so just the website, if anyone wants to find out more, is audaciouswellness.com. That's audaciouswellness.com. 
And then of course you've got audacious in the subtitle of your book. Um, so I'm curious, Lisa, um, why you have uh, resonated so strongly with that word and, and what does aging audaciously mean for you? Yeah, good question. Well, audacious, um, audacious is defined as showing a willingness to take surprisingly bold risks. And it's marked by originality and verb. And some synonyms for audacious are plucky, brave, daring, courageous, sassy, intrepid. You kind of get the idea. And yeah. so I liked the idea. I liked the feeling of audacious as opposed to just sitting back in your life, actually getting out of your comfort zone. And I get like with all things that are bio-individual, audacious is also a bio-individual response to audacious is, you know, very much a personal thing. So what might feel like a bold risk to me might not feel like a bold risk to you and vice versa. So um, I age, aging audaciously, it came about, well, actually, it's almost in direct response to aging gracefully, because mm. aging gracefully, there's nothing wrong with grace. I like grace as much as the next person. But aging gracefully feels almost like, like it, it, for other people, like it's not, it's, mm -hmm. it's, if we age gracefully, we're doing it not for ourselves, but for others, for other, others interpret it, right? So, you know, it's sort of like by aging gracefully, it's, it's another way of saying, be a, be a nice, quiet girl. Don't bother mm. with your menopausal midlife junk. Like, you know, I don't want to hear about, I don't want to hear you complain about your gray hair or your midlife middle or whatever, like, shh, be quiet. And I'm not down with that. Oh, I like that. I, I, I didn't even put that contrast together until you just said it, but it makes perfect sense. Um, and then I have to ask you, what was the boldest or one of the bold risks that you took um, as a part of aging audaciously for you? Oh my God. Oh my God. Nobody's ever asked me that before. Oh no. Do you want to think about it? I can come back to it. <laughs> I mean, honestly, for me, jumping in to do my life coach training was truly audacious because like, I just, I stopped everything I was doing that was comfortable. I mean, I, I had this career as, you know, working for this production company and I'd been in production my whole life. And I, I decided to sign up for life coach training. Um, and that felt super audacious to me. And then when I was finished, I hadn't told the folks where I was working that I was doing that. And um, my husband was very supportive and he knew that I was, that I wanted to leave and start a practice. And he said, whenever you're ready. And so one day I just, you know, again, body compass thing. I said, you know what, today's the day I'm going to go in, I'm going to yeah. tell them. And I called them up and I set a lunch date and I got in the car and our car at that point, we had satellite radio and it was on the Oprah station. Funnily enough, <gasps> my husband was listening, not me. And I was right. And I started to drive and th there were two people talking, wasn't Oprah. They were talking about how to know when to quit. <gasps> and it was Martha Beck what talking about how to know when to quit so i was like okay thank you for the sign universe and <laughs> i pulled up in front of the office the the show was ending and i you know it felt very audacious all of it but i did it and no looking back that i had never heard you share or tell that story before but that is such an incredible I, you know I'm big on the signs from the universe I'm always looking for them always sharing them I'm I think my parents think I'm crazy I don't care um I love those kind of signs and man I mean that that's a pretty that's a pretty obvious one at Lisa like <laughs> another audacious move for me was changing how I eat 
changing the way that I eat, <clears throat> meaning um, I really don't eat gluten or dairy anymore. I'm not, I don't have a gluten allergy. I am lactose intolerant as it turns out, but mm. I, I, I changed the way that I eat. I had always, I changed it a lot just by moving to the West coast and incorporating fresh vegetables into my diet. Something that I, you know, growing up in the 1970s, you know, in that standard American diet or as, as health coaches like to call it sad standard American mm. diet. But I, I've never really eaten anything. I, I it was it was all new to me. So I really rechanged my palate, and that that was happening before you know before I turned fifty. But by the time I turned fifty, I was noticing that certain foods really were not making my body feel good, and it felt audacious to stop, to decide to stop eating some of that stuff and basically be different. You know, my my, my family thinks I'm absolutely crazy. They think I'm nuts. But not my family here. My family, okay. my yeah. kids are all about it. Um, but it felt that felt audacious to me, and now it just feels like the way it's supposed to be for me. And I just have to stop here and point out um, that you really do have, I believe, one of your love languages is food. And if you out there listening have any interest in incorporating some changes into your diet, Lisa has such incredible recipes. Um, and I would say, um, I know I have to be careful how we promote this because PCA is non-commercial, but I, um, Lisa's website is audaciouswellness.com. And I know you can also find her on Instagram. I use many of her recipes myself, like your kale chips. They're so easy. I mean, I burn water, Lisa, and I can follow the recipes that you have, and they are so delicious and so healthy. <laughs> so. Thank you. That, that is part of how I want to, I want people to feel empowered to go into the kitchen and know that they can not, it, it's, it doesn't have to be um, rocket science. You know, you really yeah. can create just a couple of things. I tell people, if you just have three go-to recipes that you know how to make that nourish your body and make you feel good, just stick to those for now. And then you'll eventually, you can branch out, but it's, it doesn't have to be scary. And so many people I know say, oh, I, you know, I, I either, I hate cooking or I stink at cooking. And it's really just because they don't know how. And we're so, it's so easy to say that we stink at it before we even try, you know, it's scary mm -hmm. to do something. It's audacious to learn new things. It is. And on that note, one of the things that I liked in the book that you talk about is goal setting. I know, you know, I'm a life coach. I interview a lot of coaches and healers. And so we've, we've touched on goal setting before, but the way that you put it in the book, I just want to point out here. Um, so you write that goals, like I will eat better or I will exercise more, or in this vein of what we're talking about, I will cook better, healthier foods. Those kind of goals are often too broad to accomplish in a meaningful way. And that makes total sense to me. So let's just use maybe getting one recipe that incorporates a leafy green or something healthy. How would you go about goal setting, uh, Lisa, instead of that whole broad thing? Yeah. So you could really start, start simple. So there, for instance, I, there's a, if you Google five ingredient recipes, you will get, you will be overwhelmed by the amount of hits that you get back. So picking something that doesn't have a lot of ingredients, that's for one mm -hmm. thing. Um, uh, that's one way to go about it. Another way would be, okay, if I really don't have, you know, the tool, like the, the actual uh, 
tools. Like I don't have a good frying pan or I don't have a good, you know, I don't, I don't, don't pick something that requires an instant pot or a Cuisinart, you know, like make sure <laughs> you have the right, the right tools. And maybe you want to stick with a salad or something, or, you know, some, a raw, a raw vegetarian thing or a raw thing that won't actually require heat. Um, another thing for some people who like to really go in and feel like they're mastering it would be to take a knife skills workshop because mm. cooking is all about really it is about how you hold a knife at some point you want to get better at that so some people are like oh i don't want to you know that knife is too sharp getting taking a knife skills workshop is a great way to get into it um and even just a beginning cooking class finding one person on the internet that you respond to that you okay i really i i like i like this i like the way this food looks I, these recipes seem easy and then just get your information from, from that person for a while until you feel more confident. Yes. And also, and also oh, go ahead. be nice to yourself and your mind. That's, <laughs> that's the biggest part. It's like when you're learning a new thing, it's so, we're so intent on doing everything right all the time. I myself am guilty of catching myself in that limiting belief regularly, but you know, you don't have to be right. Make mistakes. It's okay. Yes. And one of the other things you mentioned around goal setting that I found really helpful um, was if you were, if you have a goal, so in, as opposed to having the, oh, I will eat better as a big broad goal, maybe something like I will cook just using the, the, the tips that you just gave us. I will cook one healthy meal a month using a recipe that, um, that I find from someone that I follow. As you were doing this, um, asking yourself, you, you give these two questions that Asking yourself when you're setting a goal like this or something else, what do I want and why do I want it? And then secondly, how will I feel when I get it? Like, why are those questions helpful or how did you find those to be good questions to ask? Well, I think it's really important to know your, to know your why, why you're doing anything, because when you can pay attention to that, you can recognize if you're doing it for yourself or somebody else. If you're doing it for mm -hmm. somebody else, you might want to be clear on what your motivations are in that case as well. And how you're going to feel when you get it, because really at the end of the day, everything is kind of about how we're going to feel. And so, you know, I, I and I think you probably also know this as a coach, but sometimes we don't know what we want, but we know how we want to feel. And mm. so just knowing how you want to feel can help get and bring that goal into greater clarity. And then there are, you know, it's like, if I want to feel accomplished, then that might help me continue to show up for myself to do what I want to do. Yes. And you even, this is a good place to point out. I think one of the things that I also enjoyed about the book is that you include in each chapter um, some science uh, studies supporting whatever it is, whether it's about getting better sleep or um, being self-compassionate, that kind of a thing. So on this, on goal setting in that chapter, I was fascinated by this. I wasn't aware of this, that brain scans show that when we learn a new skill, as we're learning it, one part of the brain is activated. When it becomes a habit, it moves to another part of the brain that requires less effort to, I guess, access and, and use it. And I mean, that was just fascinating to me. So it just shows that if you stick with something, I think, what do you recommend, Lisa, like 30 days or something that it, that it becomes a habit in the brain? Well, I think at least for 30 days, you'll find out if you really like doing it, like if it's working for you mm -hmm. and then you're motivated to continue the research on how long it takes a habit to stick is, um, I, I've read so many different things. Some people say 30, some people say 66 days is a number I've seen multiple times. Mm -hmm. uh, but uh, so I would say, 
think back to something, to a habit that you have created for yourself and sort of notice how long did it take that one to stick? Like for me, I would say, you know, walking every day. Uh, that started off, you know, there was one day when I just decided I wanted to walk. And when I thought I want to keep doing, I want to walk, you know, Green Lake every day. I want to do that mm -hmm. every day. And I started and I, the more I did it, the better I felt. And then soon, you know, now it's sort of, I don't even think about it. It's a non-negotiable. I put on my shoes and I go. There you go. Yeah. Um, so another topic that I want to maybe switch gears just a little bit, but this was something where I learned some new things. Um, and I'm, as we were talking about earlier, I love that we are actually as women able to talk about some of the things that maybe, I don't want to say we're taboo, but just maybe where people felt embarrassed to talk about or something like that, um, are about hormones. Um, and so you have a whole chapter devoted to hormones like cortisol, estrogen, progesterone, and one of the things that I took away was you were writing that these hormones are constantly striving for balance, but sometimes one is louder and more insistent than the others. Um, and so I am curious, you know, what do you feel like are the, the big things we need to know um, for women out there who are approaching or in midlife? What do we need to know about hormones? Yes. Well, I, let me just say that I'm not a hormone expert, although I really, I follow many hormone experts because it's fascinating to me how much they rule our lives in so many ways. But I would say the main thing that if you are struggling, if you are in perimenopause and you are having hot flashes and you're noticing you're having some symptoms to first of all, ask your healthcare provider for a hormone test. And you want to test as many different hormones as you can, including potentially cortisol, adrenaline, insulin, um, all of them, because they do do a dance. And when you think about it, it's almost like like they're always, they're waltzing. And if one person trips up, then everybody starts to trip up, right? It's like a, a choreographed dance. The loudest hormone, I believe I read this from um, Sarah Gottfried, who is a, a expert in women's hormonal health. I think the loudest hormone is cortisol, which is the stress hormone. And when that mm. one is out of whack, everything can get out of whack. And so we all keep hearing about meditation and deep breathing and yoga. There's so much truth to it. And it doesn't, you don't have to be an amazing meditator. You just need to know what works for you to start to calm you down. And so, you know, yes, I'm all for meditation, but you can start by just putting your hands on your heart and taking some deep breaths and, and activating your parasympathetic nervous system. So I think it's important to know as women that the hormones do work together and that you can influence, you know, it's not just going to be about taking a pill. You can learn to, you know, to, lower your cortisol to lower your insulin. Those are things you can do on your own at home and, but do get, do get tested if you can. Yes, absolutely. I know I found that to be helpful. And, and just out of curiosity, I know, as you said, definitely talk to your healthcare provider, whoever that is, but how might one even know if their cortisol, like what are some of the symptoms of, of excess cortisol or that being the one that's talking the loudest? Well, for me, the biggest one was insomnia. Insomnia, mm. insomnia. I mean that that and that started even before perimenopause. But looking back, that is probably what activated it, um, and it definitely flared up and got more agitated in perimenopause. So cortisol uh, for cortisol, I would say definitely, um, it, definitely insomnia, but also anything that makes you feel like you're jittery, like too much coffee. You know, just that you're you're wired. Um, and then there can be physical symptoms too, uh, you know, it can be, and, and these, and these all sort of cross over each other, right? So some of the symptoms like hair loss or, um, 
itchy skin, like, you know, they, it can, it can mm -hmm. all go back to cortisol. So noticing that's where paying attention comes in and writing down or noticing what all, any symptoms make that, that feel like you're experiencing some kind of imbalance. And I would say almost all the time, not all the time, that's too broad. Frequently, mm -hmm. it can come back to a hormonal situation. Gotcha. And you mentioned insomnia. Um, and I know that's something that I have, I don't want to say I've struggled with. It's just something that I started noticing. I would say in my mid thirties, um, I started noticing some changes in my sleep patterns. And so I know that that is definitely something, you know, as like I said, it's a whole chapter in your book. What is relevant for us to know about midlife and sleep? What changes and how can we um, help ourselves sleep better? Um, also a, a good question. So I would say that the changes that I've noticed in myself and in some of the people I work with is certainly you start to wake up more frequently and there is definitely, um, I, I don't remember exactly what the, how it works, but our, 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 this, our bladders start to get, our, start to change. So we need to get up and use the bathroom in the middle of the night. And then sometimes it's hard to go back to sleep so that that can happen. So in that case, you know, maybe don't drink so much water right before bed and you know, all of there, there's like the, the obvious ones with regard to that. But, um, I'm trying to remember now what was the first part of your question? No. I'm sorry. I'm so bad about stacking questions, Lisa. That is totally my bad, but I was just, you know, like you said, things are changing. I said, maybe, um, I found some good tips in here around how to improve our sleep and midlife okay. and was just curious if you wanted to share any of those. Oh, yeah. Totally. So sleep, good sleep hygiene. And you, you know, you, this may not be the first time anybody's hearing this, but it really is about keeping the bedroom strictly for sleep and sex and no, nothing else. I mean, if you're really in an insomnia spiral, not even reading, just, you know, read downstairs and go to bed when you're tired. Turning off all the screens an hour before bed so that you really can wind down and um, and start to lower that cortisol and start to, because this just being on a screen can up our cortisol. Um, and stopping, no caffeine, like after 2 p.m. or afternoon, or in my case, just decaf and matcha. Um, you know, so, <laughs> um, so there, it's really gonna be about experimenting with some of that stuff. Um, you know, and again, everybody's different. Some people can take hot baths before bed and that relaxes them. For me, it actually gets stuff flowing. And so that doesn't work for me. So I don't take a hot bath to relax. It's about going to be a little bit about experimenting. And then there are some over-the-counter supplements that you can explore. GABA is my favorite. Um, and then there's also, uh, um, yin yoga, you know, sometimes anything you can do to activate that parasympathetic. So just like legs up the wall. Or even, you know, we all, if you've ever done a yoga class, you all, you know, that Shavasana is the best part, right? So just like, <laughs> just laying on the, on the floor and, and just laying in corpse pose can help activate your parasympathetic. So there's lots of things to do before you end up having to, you know, hit the, hit the big guns. There you go. And I will also mention, because this helped me immensely, and I'm curious, Lisa, what your thoughts are, if this has something to do with a midlife change related to digestion, but my sleep, I know I have like the perfect recipe for my sleep, which is no caffeine after like around noon, um, and then not eating past three or 4 PM. When I go to bed with an empty stomach and not digesting, it changes my sleep so dramatically where I can actually get five to six hours uninterrupted. 
crazy for me. Great. I mean, that's so again, that's a bio individual situation. I do advocate stopping eating at least three hours before bed. So um, that makes a big difference for me. So if you, you know, and and even, even like an intermittent fast of 12 hours, it can be very helpful. So if you eat, finish your last bite of dinner at seven, then you don't go to bed before 10 and don't eat again until seven in the morning. And that can really be helpful. Yes, I do intermittent fast myself. Although on this, you know, our road trip adventure, it has, I am so off my regular schedule and <laughs> my game when it comes to my intermittent fasting. Yeah. Um, but I just noticed that makes such a difference if anyone else out there um, uh, is experimenting. I found intermittent fasting and not eating past a certain time of day really helpful. Um, so Lisa, we've got, I guess, three or four minutes left max. Um, I, I still have many questions in my little outline, but I'm curious, is there anything that we haven't covered that you want to address or you want me to just keep going with my outline? Um, I think, you know, the, the, the only, the, the really the only thing I want to make people understand is that feeling old is basically inflammation in your body and your mind, right? So yeah, I help my clients detox, detox both kinds of inflammation by giving them tools to develop like an, an, an audaciously awesome mindset and learn how to tell their inner mean girl to take a hike and by teaching them the basics of eating an anti-inflammatory diet and, um, and tips and tricks for adding in regular daily movement and for sleep stuff too. So it's really feeling old is inflammation. You don't have to feel old. And that's, it's interesting that you bring that up. I know we, we do have a couple minutes left and I, uh, chronic inflammation just has been coming up all over the place in terms of how it affects us. Um, and I just, anything else you want to say about inflammation? Cause I know sugar is very tied to that. Yeah. There's so many ways to help decrease chronic or silent inflammation through the way we eat. Um, and learning to, yes, to back off of refined sugar and refined carbohydrates. That's, that's one thing we can all do, you know, soda, all the stuff, this, the stuff that's packed with sugar and additives bail on that. If you, if you eat that already and you're already going to feel a lot better, but, um, yes, sugar, sugar's a bad one. Sugar's a bad one, but beyond that, it's really going to be more of a, um, again, a bio-individual thing. Um, yeah. So yeah, watch the inflammation. The, uh, the last thing I want to say, because this book is really all about changes. It's about that midlife, no crisis. So looking at change as the gateway to opportunity and wisdom and growth, instead of something that's just conspiring to mess you up, might be difficult at first, but learning to reframe situations like turning 50, being an empty nester, any of that, it's really a great tool for cultivating that resiliency to, to, to really be able to roll with the roll with change in a lot different because change is the one constant in <laughs> that is so true and that's a perfect place to bring us to the end of our hour um so you have been listening to sunny in seattle i'm your host sunny joy i've been joined today by lisa levine the book is midlife no crisis an audacious guide to embracing 50 and beyond and the website is audaciouswellness.com lisa thanks for being my guest again on sunny in seattle Thanks, Sunny. It's such a joy to talk to you always. I really appreciate you having me on. Thanks again. Absolutely. And congratulations on your book. Thank you. You're welcome. Well, thanks, Benny, for running the board and the show in uh, Seattle. And thank you, Jeff, in Petaluma. And uh, this is your host, Sunny Joy, signing off. See you next week, everyone.